Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So I like what blogger Chris Gillibo says. He writes about people's biggest regrets in life. He says this, supposedly no one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I had spent more time at the office. How many people ever heard that? You know, and I like what he says. He says, such a claim is inherently problematic since we have no way of knowing what everyone says on their deathbed. <laughs> when I read this, I thought, that's true. I've quoted that myself. No one ever says. Uh, maybe somebody does. Who knows? Plus, there are and maybe someone with no family. Maybe someone that didn't have any relationships. I don't know. Plus, there are all the people who don't get a choice in the matter. P.T. Barnum's last words were, how are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? which sounds a lot like asking about the office. Now, I think P.T. Barnum maybe didn't have a choice. Maybe he died suddenly because I don't know that that would be his last words, but he was asking about the business. Um, This blogger says, in reviewing a popular article about regrets of the dying, here's what he found was the most popular regret. Now, nobody wants to live with regrets, right? We don't, I don't want to live with regrets. As I get older, when I'm younger, I didn't have any regrets because I hadn't really lived much. But as I get older, right, I do have some regrets. I do think, oh, if I could do that again or if I could, you know, make that choice, I'd probably do this. How many people know that's not really helpful? You ever been there for a while and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't help me now. I only have tomorrow. What am I doing? And so here's the number one regret that, that, that is recorded. Here it is. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Interesting. So a lot of people felt like I tried to bend what I did to what others thought I should do. I tried to bend what I do to maybe circumstances, expectations, and I didn't do what I was kind of called to do. Now, they're not saying that in a spiritual component, but, but for us who are Christ followers, it could be I didn't do what God called me to do, or I didn't do what I sensed in my heart. I let other people dictate what I did. And here's the author's comments on this observation. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. You're like, wow, pastor, that's an encouraging quote. Thanks for stirring us up today on this foggy morning. That's what I came for, to think about how my dreams aren't being fulfilled. Well, just, just, just bear with me for a minute, because it'll, it'll get better. I'm just kind of setting the stage, because I don't want you, it's not a heavy word. It's meant to be an encouraging word, so we're going to get there. But I remember when, um, when, when the, so the, the potential of that kind of regret is the reason why um, I decided to make sure I wrote my book. You know, back in 2006, um, you know, I, I had no, I, no real intention of writing a book. And then in 2006, as I was driving home from Vancouver with my family from a holiday, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me as I was driving on the highway, interesting, and he just said, you should write, you should write your book now. And I remember thinking, write my book. I hadn't really thought about that. And he's like, no, you should write a book. And I knew right away what it should be about because I just preached about the concept behind Life is a Highway at our church. So I thought, I think I'm supposed to speak about that. A month later, it was really odd. You ever had moments in life that are just, they're, God is like confirming things and speaking things to you. And it comes out of the blue. A month later, I was in my office in Medicine Hat 
just getting ready to fire up my computer. And as I stood there, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you really need to write that book. And so uh, I'm like, okay. And I open up my computer and, and I got my email. And there's an email from a friend of mine about something totally unrelated. And at the end, he goes, you know, tell me when you've written your book. It was, a, it was an obtuse comment. Like it came from nowhere. I'm like, why would he say that? Like it was weird. But what made it even weirder is that I just thought about it like seconds before, and then I saw it, and I could see, like, I, I thought, okay, God's speaking to me, right? He spoke, spoke to me on the highway. He just spoke to me right now, and then this. And, and by the way, that's, that is how God speaks. He'll often use various things to confirm the same thing. So I thought, well, I better write my book. So I started immediately. I started like a week later, like right away, started writing it. Well, it took me like a decade <laughs> to write it seriously i mean between church planning and moving and everything else it took me like forever hopefully the next one won't take i'm going to start on the next one by the way but it won't take me that long but but here's the point i i had to make i had to during the process of writing that book i had to think often i just don't want to do this at times i don't want to do this anymore this is a pain this is like hanging on me let's just not do it but then i had to go back yeah but god called me to do this I, i i have i like i'm supposed to do this i need to do this and so I didn't want to regret later in life and go, I knew I was supposed to write that book, and I never did. Because I knew I would regret it. I would have felt relieved at the moment. <sighs> I don't have to write that book anymore. But eventually I would have said, I left that unfulfilled, right? I didn't step it out. I didn't obey God. And, uh, and that's why I did it. And by the way, I won an award recently. And actually, all my new books that are on Amazon are going to have that seal in the corner. I actually got it all modified with the guy that designed my cover. And so I'm a Book Excellence Award winner in the religion category. Isn't that wonderful? And actually, they're going to highlight me now on their website. They just emailed me and they said, we thought of you and we want to highlight you further. And I'm like, awesome. Anyway, so that's just a little reward. But the biggest reward for me was just getting it done. I mean, that's all icing on the cake. But I just wanted to be obedient. And I'll just tell you one more picture about that. So when I finished the book, it was about a year ago, and I was sitting at another church, actually Harvest Church here in town, another LifeLinks church, and I was sitting there in the afternoon for a special meeting, and as I sat there, the book had just been completed, and I had this picture in my mind of the book being on the altar. Now, in the Old Testament, God would uh, cause, you know, they would, they would sacrifice animals, and they'd put them on the altar, and then fire would come and consume it, and it was like God saying, I accept that, Right? So as my book was sitting there on this altar in my mind, I saw like the fire of heaven come and burn out my book. Now, on the outside, that looks negative, right? Like, he just burnt your book up. What does that mean? No, no, it was a good thing. What he was saying is, you obeyed me, and it's a sacrifice. You understand? Like, you present it like, God, I give you this book. No matter how many people read it or don't read it or whether it's successful or not, I'm about you, and I just give this to you. And he's like, oh, I'm pleased. I accept it. Isn't that kind of what our life is supposed to be? Like, as I sat there, I mean, I had a few tears because I'm thinking, okay, like, you're pleased. And really, no matter what else happens with the book, if you're pleased, I'm pleased because that's what I'm about, right? I'm about you. I'm about trying to obey what you call me to do. So that's the framework of what I want to talk about today because I want to use a story from Joshua and This story in Joshua chapter 1 starts out very hopeful. But if you want to look at the big picture, it actually doesn't work out the way God intended. Let's look at it here. It's on the screen. 
Just read with me along, and let's just look at this. Joshua 1. So after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant. So remember, Moses is the one who led them out of Egypt, the children of Israel. And then Joshua took over, and Joshua's goal was to take them into the promised land, like the land they'd been given. The Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, and Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. Can you imagine how pressurized Joshua felt? You ever thought about it? How much stress he would have felt? Moses. Think about Moses. Moses splits the Red Sea with his staff. Moses, who, you know, made water come out of a rock. Moses, who was the leader all that time, 40 years. Moses, and he's dead. Oh, and by the way, you're the guy now. <laughs> wow. If I was Joshua, I'd be feeling pressure, right? Now, when you read this, you're going to hear how God knows he feels pressure, but God's trying to encourage him. So here's what, here's what God says to Joshua. He says, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever, now, now pay attention to this. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Not the Hutterites, the Hittites. No one, <laughs> no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Now think about that. I'll be with you as I was with Moses. How was he with Moses? Pretty powerful. So he's saying, you know all those miracles and all that? I'll do that with you. He says, I will not fail you or abandon you. Joshua needed to hear that. So do you and I. Because God's presence in what God calls us to do is essential. So let's read on here. Verse 6, or yeah, whatever that verse is, I can't read. Verse 6, be strong, courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then, Will you prosper and succeed in all you do? This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, unrelated to this message in this passage, this week, this was really cool. I had an African leader from Ishaka, Uganda, send me a message. He's, he's part of our network. And he said, God woke me up this morning, put you on my heart, and he quoted me this passage. And he said, you're the next leader of our network. God's with you. God's going to help you. God stands with you. <laughs> Amazing. I was thinking, here's a guy from Africa sending me this message. It just honestly gives me chills thinking about it. Because God was thinking about me. And I actually needed to hear that. So God is big enough to encourage us when we need encouragement. And for those that don't know, I'm taking over the leadership of our network in October. So that there's some real reasons behind that. But let me just give you some background on this this thought here. Let's, let's do a reality check. So God comes to, to the Israelites and he says, and he tells Joshua, and he outlines this whole massive area. And I don't have a map up there to show you the area, but it's a, it's a large area. He spells it all out. He says, this whole land I give you, and there's only one thing you need to do to take the land. I've given it to you. There's one thing you need to do. You need to walk into it. You need to step. Every place you step in the land I'm giving you is yours. Does that sound like a pretty powerful promise? He basically says, this is the outline of the, of the boundary of what I've given you. 
And it's up to you to take all of it. In fact, you have it already if you want it. But if you don't choose to go into it, you won't have it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And my point is, is that's the way for us, actually, in life. It really is. God gives us boundaries. God says, this is the boundaries I give you. This is the way I'm leading you. But are you going to step into it? Are you going to walk into it? Or are you going to be timid? Or are you going to be careless? Or are you just going to say it doesn't matter? It's kind of like me with my book. God says, I want you to write a book. Okay. But I could choose not to. Boy, I sure didn't feel like it at times, right? I'm thankful I did it. I obeyed, but man, it was tough. But the point is, do you realize that I've been reading up on this when it comes to the actual land that the Israelites took, that some people think they actually only took a third of what they should have taken. Now, during the reign of Solomon and David, it did increase. And Solomon actually had the greatest expansion. Um, Israel was the largest at that time and probably more than what I'm saying. But it never actually completely took over the whole land that they'd been promised. It's true. Now, there's reasons for that. Because it wasn't like they just had to walk in and take the land. They actually had to fight some enemies. Okay? So even the land they took, every bit of it, they had to fight the enemy to get it. But they stopped fighting the enemy. And they stopped advancing. It's almost like they said, this is good enough. This is good enough. Hey, do you have enough room? Yeah, we have enough room. Okay, well, you do know there's more. We could, Yeah, no, we're okay. I'm okay. You ever been there in your life at all? <laughs> I've been there in my life. Yeah, no, I'm okay. Yeah, well, there is more, you know. Yeah, no, that's a lot of effort to get the more. I'm okay. But how many people here don't want to be the person that later in life has regrets and says there was more and I left it on the table and I didn't push in and I didn't believe God? I, like you, I don't want to be that guy. And so I think the challenge is for us. So why did they fail? Why did... Why did the Israelites fail? Why did they fail to get everything that God had for them? Well, first thing is, they didn't take the promise seriously. I don't think they took it seriously. They took it somewhat seriously. Obviously, they went in and they fought because they were promised wherever they set their foot would be land that they were being given. And I think in some ways, you know, they didn't fully keep that in mind. Of course, they're, they're a big nation and lots of leaders, lots of people. And from generation to generation, it would be easy to forget what God had promised. It would be easy to forget that there's actually more that God said was on the table, right? So I can understand how it happens. But I think they didn't take it seriously in the end. They didn't realize that God had more. Now, what is the promised land that each of us has been given? What is the promise? There's a universal promised land for us as Christians that we've been given. And I think we need to remember what it is. And I'm going to quote you from Matthew 28, because this is, this is actually, you know, if you want to take that picture of the Israelites going into the promised land and being commissioned to do that, then, then you want to fast forward and see Jesus before he ascends with his disciples, and he's doing the same thing. See, God spoke to Joshua said, this is the land I give you. This is the terrain I'm giving you. And then Jesus spoke, spoke to his disciples and did the same thing. This is the terrain I'm giving you, disciples, and all that will follow you. And here it is. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Wow. I've been given all authority. Therefore, 
go and make disciples. What's he saying? Therefore, I give it all to you. I give you authority to go and make disciples and Christ followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does that sound familiar? I am with you always? Isn't that what God told Joshua? Isn't that what he said to him? He said, I want you to take this land, Joshua. I'll be with you. It's the same thing. It's just a different era. It's a different promised land. See, we need to remember as believers, and this is not, hear my heart, this is not some, you know, condemning, that's not at all the tone of this. I'm just trying to remind us that God has promised us great things. I'm trying to remind us that we're part of the Great Commission. I'm trying to remind us there's a promised land for God's people that we're a part of. And he wants us to remember that. And he says, it, it's, it's going to be challenging to take that land. It's going to be challenging to go into all the world and make disciples. But I'll be with you. Just like I was with the Israelites. And they started marching in and taking land. I'll be with you to take land. See, the kingdom of God is about advancement. It's about expansion. And, you know, sometimes we can think, well, it's, it's, you know, we can think about a church like this, you know, occupying more space in our city. But really, what it comes down to is you and me individually. It comes down to us. It comes down to our call. It comes down to where God's calling us uniquely. And here's the cool part. You are in places that only you are in. You have influence. Only you have. That's your kingdom. That's, that's your place that God has put you where you're going to expand. And when you step into where you've been placed, you're going to move forward and see the kingdom expand. I'm getting all excited. <laughs> it's true because it's your inheritance. It's your promise. It's God's promise to you. See, sometimes we look at the, the Great Commission and we, we, we look at it kind of with dread. I don't know if you ever have. Go make disciples of all nations. Yeah, I'm terrible at that. I'm doing bad. Yeah, I need to get out there more. Oh, you know, I'm not seeing enough baptized. I mean, I suck, right? Like, seriously, this is how we can look at this. But I don't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just rekindling something in our hearts. I'm saying, come on, this is our promise. This is why we were made. This is why this church is here. This is why you're here. Because God says, I give you a promised land. And step it out, step it out. Walk it out and see what I'll do and see how I'll give you influence and see the people you can reach because I will use you beyond what you can imagine. Gets me excited to think about that. And listen, I don't think it has to be super hard. You know, one one of the biggest things I found over the years, been around a long time now, used to teach evangelism courses several times when I was younger. Um, You know, I I taught, we'd go on the streets, door to door even, like I did tons of that stuff. And, and, and it was always daunting, right? Like, seriously, at any time I announced we were doing a course, you could just tell people, like, I'm never doing that, right? Like, seriously, you could just see it. <laughs> you know, I had the table set up. People are, like, walking away. You don't want to look at me, right? Because it's so t- intimidating, you know? But it's not like that. The longer I've been around, the more I realize it's just about you and I in our part of the world trying to be like Jesus, trying to step into what he calls us. You know, my wife's a great example of doing this. Honestly, I want to honor her. Um, she's been an encouragement to me, a challenge to me at times when I get too caught up in everything else and I'm not actually having enough witness, enough focus on people that need to know Jesus. She, she 
keeps me grounded, and I appreciate it. She's done so well. You know, since, since she started, since we moved here in, I think 2012 is the first year you did piano lessons, Val. Was that 2012? So Val, you know, put up, like, signs at the post office box in our area and put an ad in our newsletter that goes around the area and just said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing lessons, you know, for fun. Just don't get too serious. Like, I'm, you know, and she does a great job with them, but she didn't want them to think that it was going to be this really intense thing. She wanted them to have fun. Well, she's got a full slate. In fact, more this year, right? A couple nights a week, a couple afternoons and evenings a week that she's been doing for seven years now. And, um, but Val doesn't see this as just teaching piano, right? I mean, it, she loves the kids. But my wife has seen this as we get to connect with these families. And she's really minded out. Like, it, it's cool because yesterday, um, one of the, Val had something else going on, but one of the, the families, one of the, 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 the women, um, the, the mothers, was called Val and, and, and said, hey, uh, I w I'm on my own this afternoon. Would you like to come over, right? And this, this person's not a Christ follower yet, right? In fact, Val, both Val and I have had them over a couple times and been over to their house, and we're now friends, and they would consider us friends, and, and it's wonderful. Um, and we get to talk about God here and there, but they just see that we're not weird, you know, to be honest. We're normal people, right? Like, we're just, you know what I mean? Because sometimes people have that thought about Christians, you know, oh, my goodness. And a pastor, load that up, right? We actually joked about that when we had their friends. They invited us to this thing where they had, like, borscht or whatever, and their friends, they're all, they're from another country, so their friends are all there, and they're all joking, and I joked about doing the daughter's wedding, and we just had fun. And they've accepted that I'm not a weird pastor, I mean, maybe I am weird, but they, 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 they feel okay about me. So, but all I'm saying is that's cool. And then we have a, another couple that they're Hindus. And so they just gave us gifts and went to India. And then we just had them at our house. And we looked at their pictures from India. They explained their traditions. And we talk about Christianity. We have another couple that is Iranian. And so we connect. I mean, it's like the United Nations. Like they're all from different countries. And Actually, for me personally, it's been a great outlet. I need it. And I thank my wife for having it because she has a heart for them. She calls them the piano families. And, and, and they're, they're the land. They're part of the land that Val has, that Val sees. This is her land. And so what's she doing? She's stepping into it. She's stepping into it. And not just passively. She's building relationships. She's inviting them over. And we're connecting. You know, yesterday... Um, I've been meaning to come down here. Uh, we've done some stuff in the past here at Eau Claire, but not, for, not recently. And I've been meaning for a long time to come down and actually do some sharing and witnessing right here at Eau Claire and in the park around here. And I haven't. And I'm thankful for Aaron Couple. You know, Aaron is just a fine young man. His mom's here, Kim. God bless you, Kim. You got a good young man. I was going to text you last night and tell you how awesome he is. So Aaron, I've been meeting with Aaron, and he's all fired up and like, Ian, would you go like witnessing with me outside and let's pray for people? And I'm like, well, yeah, I need to do that, right? So, so, so yesterday we came down here, came down to Eau Claire and uh, Saturday afternoon and we were going to be outside, but it was raining. And so we just came through here. It was awesome, right? Because Eau Claire, you know, as I was here, I thought Eau Claire is like our promised land. Like, we're here in Eau Claire, right, as long as we are. We're still believing to get out of here, but we're here for now. And so these people 
downstairs that run these businesses, they're in our promised land. And so Aaron and I went business to business primarily and talked to owners and chatted with them. And let me tell you what happened. This is really cool. Aaron kept some good notes. Said, can you write that down? So he was writing down these things. So Tara, talk to Tara. And she's running a business. Actually, it's not doing so well right now. And, she, and we said, well, how can we pray for you? And she said, oh, I need finances for my business. And then Banny, who runs an art studio, she, you know, health and success. Now, some of the people we prayed for right there, other people didn't work out, prayed for them after. Then there's Yugan, who's from Bhutan. And he works in a store down here. And so we had a long chat with him. He's interested in Buddhism, but also Christianity. So we talked about that. And then we said, how can we pray for you, Yugan? And he needs finance to cover his education. He's an international student going to Bow Valley College. And then Yvonne, who's just started a new business. She's a Congolese immigrant. She's a believer. So that was awesome. And so we prayed for Yvonne right there, that God would bless her business because it's brand new. And if you see it at the bottom of this escalator, it's got all this African stuff there. I'd encourage you to support her if you can. She's doing her best. So we spent this time talking to all these people, had some interesting chats, others not as much, but we prayed. And I went home and thought, that wasn't so hard. Like, why the heck didn't I do that earlier? Seriously, I'm being real with you, right? So I was so thankful to Aaron. I thought, God, thank you for Aaron. Because when I was Aaron's age, he's like almost 18. When I was his age, he's right there. See, I look at your mom, and I'm not even looking at you. You're right there. I'm talking like you're not even here. Sorry, Aaron. Didn't even notice you. You're right there. God bless you. I'm very observant. Anyway, but, but my point is, when I was Aaron's age, I was out doing this stuff all the time, setting the trend all the time. And I said at that time, when I get older, I will never stop doing this. Maybe that was a bad vow. I don't know. Because when I got older, I stopped doing this. So Aaron, in his youth, stirred me up again to go out and do what actually is fun for me and what actually is what I'm made to do. And it's to step by step into our area. So thank you, Aaron, now that I see you in front of your mother. Thank you very much for your impact. So here's a question. I want you to please come together if you can, if you're sitting on your own, because I want two or three to talk, because I got three questions for you today, and it, and it works perfectly in a smaller crowd, okay? So try to rearrange. Why don't we do that right now? It's a little bit of musical chairs. Just try to rearrange yourself, get maybe where some others are, so that you can have a quick discussion. So once you kind of have a little group, and if you need to sit at the back, you just find a little group there, um, whatever works, or you can move up, whatever is comfortable for you. Here's a question. What are some great commission steps the Lord is calling you to take in order to take your territory in the promised land of reaching and discipling many in our world? Okay, in other words, it's a long question. What do you sense? Like, what is, what's kind of your promised land? That would be the first thing. What? Like I said about coming to Eau Claire and then Val with her piano families. Like, do you have like an area? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your, you know, your co-op? Is it your, what is it, right? And, and it, it might be limited to your family at this point. It might be people related. Like there's different things. What is it? And then are there steps God's calling you to take, okay? All right, so let's just take a few minutes to do that. Okay, well, let's move to number two. So the first, reason that they didn't take the promised land 
was that they failed to take the promise seriously. I, I, think, I don't think they really fully comprehended that God was saying, this is for you, you need to do this. Second reason I believe they didn't, they didn't take it is they were not careful to obey. Remember he said, be careful to obey. I think they got careless in their obedience. And um, they were told, do not deviate from them. If, you, if you're careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you, and if you don't deviate, you'll be successful. So why, how did they disobey? How did they, did they intentionally just say, we're not going to obey God? I don't think so. I don't think actually most of us ever actually live that well. Sometimes it happens. But I think for the most part, we're not actually intentionally saying, I'm not going to obey God. I don't think that's the case. I think it just happens that we begin to compromise. Like, for example, let me give you an example of what happened. So they, God told them, you know, you're supposed to take that promised land. You're not supposed to make any covenants or agreements or peace treaties with any of the nations around you. You're supposed to conquer all of them, okay? But what happened is a group called the Gibeonites, they came. They actually could see what was going on. They're pretty smart, actually. They were, they were watching the conquest happening, and they thought, we're toast. Like, we're going to get wiped out. So they, they thought, well, we're going to deceive the Israelites. So what they did is they pretended, they went to the Israelites, and they pretended they were from like a far, long way away, like you know, way out of the, the zone, you know? Like, we're coming to you from many, many, many miles. We're not really in your way, but we want to make an agreement with you. Look, our bread is old, or you know, all this stuff. If you read about it, they really, they really hammed it up really well. And so they said, we want to make a treaty with you. We're not in your way, really. We're not immediately close to you. Please make a treaty with us not to kill us. That's what they were doing. So it says that Joshua and the, peop- and the other elders considered this, but they did not inquire of the Lord, right? So they didn't go to God and say, God, um, what do you think? Should we do this? Is, are these guys legit? They didn't. They just said, no, oh, look at look at the wineskin. Look at, you know, the cracked thing with water and the bread. Yeah, it looks like they're from a long way. Okay, yeah, we'll make a covenant with you, make a treaty. Well, they found out they were like super close. They weren't very far away at all. In fact, in the end, they had to defend them against other enemies because they made a treaty. It was a bit of a pain in the butt, to be honest, right? They didn't listen to God. And so they didn't pay attention. They got careless. They didn't intend not to obey, but they stopped inquiring of God. They stopped staying close to God. Isn't that kind of what happens to us? We don't intend to, you know, start walking carelessly, but we they don't stay close anymore. We don't listen. Maybe we don't inquire of God, and so then we make mistakes. We've all been there. I've been there. But, but they forgot where the charge came from. It was from him in the first place, right? So, yeah, I think you're right. So, so uh, Tanya said that um, they, got, they got complacent. They used to ha- go to the tent of meeting. They used to seek God and hear from him. And then they got kind of complacent and thought, we know what's best. We know God's mind. And that's a challenge for all of us. We don't ever fully, we don't live long enough to, always, to know what, the way God thinks. His ways are not our ways. He knows and we need to pay attention. Good point, Tanya. Thank you. Good point, Richie. Interactive today. There you go. It's good. So here's another thing they did. They allowed idolatry to come into their lives. You know what idolatry is? It's any time we take the focus away from pursuing God to pursuing something else. Or any time, you know, our pursuit becomes about something else or another, you know, something else other than the Lord, right? And that happened to them. They... They, if you watch the progression of the Israelites, they literally got distracted by other idols. And I, I love the passage in Jonah, seven, Jonah 2, verse 7 and 9. Here's what it says. 
And this is, this is literally about somebody who was going the wrong direction and not stepping in the right direction. Jonah, not to get into the story too much, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and take God's message there. But he didn't want to go there. He didn't like the people of Nineveh. He had an attitude. You read it. He had a bad attitude. God called him to go there. And so, which just shows you something. You can have a bad attitude. God can call you, and if you obey him, he's still pleased. Seriously, even if you have a bad attitude, you eventually do the right thing. Uh, but he has a bad attitude, and he doesn't want to do the right thing. So he gets on the, on the ship, and he actually heads out the opposite direction. He's not going to Nineveh. And it's, you know, it's quite a wild story because he gets swallowed by a fish for three days. And then once he repents, he leaves the fish. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches. It's, it's one of those hard-to-fathom stories in the Bible, to be honest, okay? And, and people have looked at the logistics of it. I won't get into that. But the bottom line is he goes the opposite direction of where God called him to go. He steps in the wrong direction. Here's what he says in Jonah uh, 2, 7 and 9. Here's what it says that Jonah declared once he realized he was going the wrong direction. He says, when my life was ebbing away, can you imagine being inside a fish? I think my life would be ebbing away. <laughs> ebbing away all the juices. Let's not think about that. I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, of course, to your holy temple. Look what he says. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. What's he saying? He's saying when you and I know that God's called us a certain direction, but we choose to go the, the opposite way for whatever reason, it might be fear, it might be inconvenience, whatever it is, we forfeit grace. Grace is God's unmerited blessing in our lives. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It is a blessing we don't deserve. It, you know, there's, there's common grace in this world that every human being knows from God, right? The fact that we have air, the fact that we have water, the fact that the sun comes up and goes down, the fact that so many things happen in life, even those that don't know Jesus, have grace. They experience it every day. They just don't know where it comes from, right? And then there's the grace that comes to us as believers when we, when we come into God's plan and we give ourselves to him. And so what it's saying is when you and I choose not to go the direction God's called us into the promised land he's given us, we forfeit something. We f we're clinging to something else. We're clinging to our own ideas. We're clinging to our comfort. We're clinging to fear, maybe. And so we forfeit, because of it, we forfeit grace in our lives. We forfeit God's blessing in our lives. And so the point is that the, the Israelites, I think, did that. I think they gave up the, the land that they were supposed to be given for other things. So distractions can stop us from pursuing the Lord. So here's the second question. Okay, you ready, small groups? Second question. What are the things that distract us from obeying and following the Lord in our culture, in your life? What are the things that get in the way of us pursuing God? Okay? Take it. A few minutes to talk about that, if you would. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hopefully there was some group wisdom there and some things you were aware of. So let's move on. Let's move to the last point. So I think another reason that they didn't get the land that God had for them is because they became afraid and discouraged. Now think about it. Several times Joshua is told, and by implication the people of Israel are told, to not be afraid or discouraged. So it's one of the biggest ones there. 
It's all the way through. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Let me ask this question. How often does fear stop us from doing what God called us to do? Lots, right? Lots. And we've all been there, afraid or discouragement. What does discouragement cause us to do? Discouragement says, what's the point, right? Discouragement says, what's the point? Discourage means not courageous. It means pulling in. What's the point? Who cares? That's discouragement. So fear and discouragement are enemies. And so God was telling Joshua, you guard your heart. You don't become afraid and you don't be discouraged because you're to lead these people into their promised land. But if you become afraid or discouraged, you're not going to take steps. See, fear stops us from taking steps. Can I just encourage you with something? We don't have to have the whole plan and we don't have to actually um, do the whole thing at once. He's, it's interesting that he said every place that you step Think of the wording. He could have said every place you go, every, you know, the areas you, he says every place you set your foot. And it implies a step-by-step journey. So wherever you're at right now is good enough for God. You don't have to be way down there. You don't have to be like this big hero. All you have to do is what's the next step for me? right? So when you go away from here today, the goal is not to, you know, you were stirred and, you know, you feel terrible. That's not the goal at all. The goal would be hopefully that you'd say, you know what? I feel like God's speaking to me. I feel he's kindling something in me. I think he's speaking to me about my promised land. I think he's giving me some vision. I'm going to take the next step. And I'm go- or I'm going to ask him what the next step is because I want to fulfill my call. I want to Do what God's called me to do. I think that's really, really key. So fear will stop us. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Think about the context of 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Paul, Paul is talking to his disciple, who is Timothy. If you read in the Bible, Timothy and Paul had a very special relationship. Paul was, Timothy was the young man that Paul was mentoring. So Paul actually and, and, and actually, 2 Timothy is probably the last letter Paul wrote before, he's, before he died. So, so his commendation to Timothy is one of the last things he's saying. And he says to this, he tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You know what, what Paul does earlier? He challenges Timothy to stir up the gifts that are within him. And, and to use what God's given him and not be intimidated. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, I know you're a young man. I know you don't have it all, but don't, don't let fear and intimidation stop you. You know, even yesterday coming here to Eau Claire, you know, I could feel it coming down here. I could feel it. I thought, you know, I don't know who I'm going to talk to. I mean, I've done this for years. I'm, I'm somebody who's seasoned in that sense. But every time I go, I'm always, like, well, I don't know who I'm going to talk to. I wonder how that'll go. Maybe someone won't like me. I mean, I still don't like that. I mean, I, after all these years, I don't like it. I want everybody to love me. But, you know, it's weird, but some people don't. But, but you know, so I, I still wonder, coming down here, well, and I could, I could let that fear, intimidation go, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I don't want to do it. it, it it's raining. <laughs> right? But, but the reality is, thankfully, I did, and thankfully, Aaron did, and, and it, was, it was cool what God did. My point is, don't let fear stop you, because the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You know what? Perfect love dries out fear. We know that. And so when we say, God, fill me with your love for other people, and even just show me your love that you have for me, that will take care of fear. And, as, and what I found is just when I push against that fear, whatever's trying to stop me from doing what God calls me, if I will just step 
And I don't know if you've found this, but sometimes it's way weaker than I think. Like I feel intimidated or I feel afraid to do what God's called me to do. If I just even take a step, often it breaks it, right? But sometimes that's the most daunting thing is to take that first step. If we'll take that step, God will meet us. Are you hearing me? Because I feel like the Holy Spirit, this isn't just about building a church. This is about building your life. This is about your legacy. This is about what God wants to do through you. And so God says, I have way more for you than you realize. I've, I've actually marked out a very broad area for you. It's not minimal. And sometimes the lie of the devil for some of us, and even in my own life, has been, you know, compared to that guy, you've not been given a lot. And this guy's, you know, expansive. And you're not. All of us have been given a massive territory. In fact, when Jesus said that, the Great Commission, he wasn't limiting it. He was telling his disciples go into all the world to every nation, and he says the same to you. Now, what it'll look different for you and for me in our callings, but we're all called to an expansion. We're all called to make a difference. So here's the last question I want to encourage you to, um, to consider, and then we're going to pray. How can we overcome the fear of stepping out and take steps to move forward this week? Okay? Can we look at that? How can you overcome the fear to step out and... Are there some steps you could take this week? You may not know yet. That's fine. But however you feel. So take the next few minutes and talk about that. So just just stay in that mode for just a moment. I'm going to summarize. And then what I'm going to have you do, if you're comfortable, is just pray in your groups briefly. You won't have a long time. But just you've been talking here different things over the period of time. So so maybe just, just briefly pray for each other. All right. So here's the conclusion of this. I think God wants to take the Great Commission promise seriously for each of us. I think he's given us great opportunity in our lives to see expansion, whatever it looks like, whatever the next season is. He has something for us. Let's be careful to obey the steps he calls us to take. Let's listen to him. Let's inquire of him. Let's ask him what's next. And then let's be obedient. Let's say, God, I'm not going to be sidetracked. I'm not going to. I want to be focused on what you're calling me to do. And then lastly, Let's not let fear or discouragement come in. And if it is there, let's pray that God would drive it out, that he would, his love would fill us, that we would not walk in fear or discouragement, that we would enter this next season with faith and confidence and know that God has something for us even beyond what we've seen before. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.